Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach, and that is Doug Brown. Now, Doug started working for his family business at the age of three and has gone on to found or build 34 different businesses. Now, through his personal experiences and his studies, he's developed a very unique methodology for increasing revenues, which is transferable to any company. Now, he's advised companies such as Intuit, CBS, uh, Television, Procter & Gamble, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide, I think you've heard of these, and Embassy Suites, just to name a few. And today, he owns a business consulting and training company called CEO Sales Strategies, where he helps uh, his companies and businesses and the individuals in them to sell at the top 1% globally. Remarkable. Well, Doug, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. But before we jump in, I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. What, what were you doing before getting into the, this coaching consulting training company that you started? And why did that lead you to make the leap? Well, I was in the telecommunications space, actually. I was, uh, I, when I got out of uh, college, uh, I was in the military for 12 years. And, and when I got out of college, because, you know, you're supposed to get an education, right? Because you can't be successful without one, so to speak. And I'm not against college by any means, uh, but I got out of there and quite frankly, I couldn't find a job. I had a degree in biology and nuclear medicine and, um, and through college, the way that I paid for it, even though I had military benefits, uh, was I was selling music equipment and I was selling it to, um, some really cool bands that, you know, we've all listened to on the radio. Um, and while I was going through that process, I got out of college. I got certified in nuclear medicine. I was applied to 300 plus hospitals across the United States. I got two accepting letters. I ex- accepted a job. I was going out to Kentucky because uh, I live in you know Massachusetts at that point, now New Hampshire, and they shut the department deba- down. Wow. And so I couldn't, I was like, okay, I still have $20,000 in loans. And I know by today's standards, that's, you know, but folks, I'm old. So that's uh, taking it uh, back a ways. Um, It was still a lot of money. And so I was like, okay. And then what hit me was I applied for more hospital jobs and I got one and it paid me less than I was making selling music equipment. Wow. And so, and I had a blast selling music equipment. It was fun. I mean, you imagine going out to professional concerts and meeting all these people and doing all that stuff. So what I decided was, because I couldn't find a full-time job in the medical field at that point, because the healthcare issues were scare was going on at that point. Right. 
Um, and so I ended up uh, saying, you know what, I'm going to give sales a try. And I ended in this telecommunications company and um, I became their number one representative out of 315 sales reps at the time, uh, broke all kinds of sales records, did all kinds of great stuff. And they were all hailing me as the greatest, you know, uh, whatever sales god or goddess that ever came. And and it was it was inviting, I got to admit it, right? And I made, made a lot of money. Um, and that's kind of what happened is I helped a training company called Coach University. And then I helped another company uh, that was called Guerrilla Marketing. Jay Conrad Levinson wrote a series of books. And I helped both of them. And they, they said to me, you should be a coach. And I said to them, well, I used to play some semi-professional soccer. And they said, no, 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 no not that coach. And I said, well, what kind of other coach is there? Because I didn't know. And so they explained it to me. And I started coaching and businesses started getting results and salespeople and sales entities started growing. And, and it just kind of led from that. And Jay introduced me to a guy named Chet Holmes, who wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine. I started coaching for Chet's company, uh, quickly became his number one grossing coach. I uh, was grossing $65,000 a month in my first four months with him. And um, eventually I became president of training and sales for his company. And then that just kind of kept me in because then Tony Robbins bought in. I became Tony's president of training and sales. Uh, Russ Whitney asked me to, on a project. He owned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, beneath Deepak Chopra, Brian, Tr you know, the list just went on. So uh, that's how it all came about. And, uh, and, you know, I loved it then. I love it now. Yeah. That's fantastic. So uh, then if we fast forward to today, what would you say some of the most important work you're doing for your clients? Helping them think differently and act differently. I think that's the whole point of coaching, right? Is um, people don't realize many times when they're coaching, it's, it's not about, it's not about what we can bring sometimes. It's about the change that we can affect within someone else to mm -hmm. think differently, to act differently. Cause most people are stuck because they created that same level of at their at with that same thinking that they've used to survive or, or grow to a certain point. But cool. just like when we were three years old, we could walk, but you know, uh, running, you know, a marathon was hard, right? So when we get to a level where we have to run a marathon, we have to have a different level of thought because it requires to go 26 plus miles, you know? Um, and so if we don't change our thoughts and change our thoughts, which can change our actions, you know, because our decisions then are guided by our actions, then we don't, we don't get a different outcome. And that's what coaching is all about. It's the great uh, motivator to, to change. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And one of the things that I, I, uh, I saw across your site and even here through, throughout your story is this idea of it's not just selling, but it's it's about being in the top one percent. It's not even the top ten percent, but it's it's going uh, and and really selling at an elite level. So, what is it that that separates the one percent from the rest? What does it take to sell in the top one percent? Uh, thought and leverage, and uh, you know a different thought and a di and a way to leverage. So, uh, in you know, 1%, not everybody wants to be in the 1%, Scott, right? But mm. but when you can think and act or think and know how, it's a lot easier because certain things happen. So I'll give you an example. Most of the time, people who are in business, they don't have enough qualified prospects to talk to. 
but the 1% earner has way more qualified prospects to talk to. So they can be much more choosy in what they say yes to or no to. Right. So, you know, that is a form of leverage really when it comes down to it. So, you know, when I, and I learned this when I was uh, working at that telecommunications company. So for example, thinking differently, we had two divisions. One was the outside division where we went out and got business. And that was me cold calling the whole bit. And the other side was the agent business where we recruited people who then had clients who brought the clients to the company. So they were two separate divisions. And one day thinking differently, uh, I realized there was a lot of leverage in the agent side of the business, but we didn't have access to it. So one day I was thinking, how do I do that from an internal rep point of view, right? Mm-hmm. How do I how do I go get these people to, to sell for me, bring me into deals? Because they already have clients. And then I did some research and I talked to a bunch of them. And what I realized is they were paying them 25%, sometimes 20 to 25% as an agent, but they had to do all the work So I said, what if I created a program, paid them less, hired some people to do the work, would it work? And that's how I became the number one rep in the company. I had 62 incoming calls a day for business at the peak of it. So I had assistants helping, uh, you know, because you can't handle that kind of volume. No one can handle that kind of volume by themselves. And... um, Maybe there's some type A's out there going, I could do that, you know, but I I promise you, it would be a stretch. Um, You know, it's so hot. Yeah. And what happened because of the leverage, I could say no. So if there was like, you know, anybody who's ever sold before probably can relate to this where it's like you're close to your, your number, but you're just not there. And then along comes that person or that entity and you're like, I don't know if I really should sell this because it's not really the fit or I'm taking on a coaching client. I know I shouldn't take on, but I need the money. And I could say no, but I didn't have to say no for me because I had lots of junior reps who needed business. So I would say no, but I'd push them to the junior reps right. and the junior reps would actually pay me on it, which is another form of leverage. So it's about creating systems and processes of leverage all the way through the whole sales process, including getting referrals and expansion of sale right at the discussion of the discovery point of the conversation. You're, you're, you're creating an active referral program versus a passive one. Right. So by the end, of the, uh, at the end of the engagement, you already have three, four new referrals that have come in which are built in with, you know, laden with trust, right? Because they're, they're trusting the other person. So that's really what it's all about is thinking that way, keeping your head out of the poor meat places at times. Um, and, and really focusing on things that create leverage, not only for your daily work, but sales leverage and expansion. Right. Right. Yeah. There's so much in that. Uh, you, You came right out of the gate with a question that I bump into all the time. And it's this this kind of difference between where's marketing end, where does sales begin, what's the salesperson's responsibility, and uh, especially um, in, in the the entrepreneurial community I, I, I run into, I hear a lot of people talking about marketing. When yeah. what I think what I think they actually are needing is to they need to sell more, right? It's not about going out and like branding and having your logo all over the place or getting a billboard. They need more leads. 
Uh, but the, the, we kind of push that off to some kind of magical marketing box that's going to you know, spit out uh, you know wonderful leads. What's the salesperson's role in in creating those high value leads? Oh, uh, well, depends on the situation. But if let's say we'll, we'll we'll take a solo entrepreneur for this moment, or or salesperson themselves in a company. All of you do not rely on a marketing company or team. You are responsible for driving the business yourself. Now, if you use a marketing leverage team, right? Marketing as leverage, then that's perfectly acceptable. If I was coaching them, for example, right? It's perfectly acceptable to utilize marketing and any type of leverage in the process. But marketing and sales and customer service is not separated. Marketing sales delivery operations and customer service is not separated. It is all one big system designed to do one thing, which is sell something initially and then sell more of that, buying frequency increase, expansion of the sale, upsell, downsell, cross-sell. All of that is to regenerate a sale over and over and over again, which creates residual income in some capacity. Now, residual income doesn't have to be they buy every week or buy every month, like a lot of people think about that. That is residual purchases. A residual could be, hey, they buy once every two years from me. But you have that set so that they're buying. I mean, think of an in, in auto dealers. I'm sorry, auto dealers. Most of you are terrible at doing this, so this is why I'm bringing it up. Um, staying in touch. Like, how often do you buy a new vehicle? Like I lease vehicles every two to three years, right? But I can tell you, Scott, maybe one out of the 15 car companies I have leased vehicles over the years with has ever called me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like, and then, and then I'll always get something in the mail that says, Hey, it's time for your lease to come up. Right. Well, I've already bought a new vehicle by that period of time. So if somebody had to just stayed in touch and followed up with me once a quarter, hey, how are you doing? And by the way, I just got this call last night from a realtor. I have a piece of property that I had uh, moved into that I was going to sell. It was a, an investment property, but I moved into it. And this realtor has called me every six months. How's things going? How's things going? And so I told him I'm not ready to sell. My, my children are at an age where they're still home, but they're going to be moving out eventually. The house is quite frankly, way larger than it would be for my wife and myself. And at that time I'll be, be there. And he goes, okay, great. You'll be hearing from me again. Right. <laughs> and so he already has the sale. Yeah. The moment I'm going to put the house up, he has the sale. If, as long as it's played out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And so the point being is, a salesperson role is to make sure that the business is closed, stays closed, and the money comes into the bank because you don't get paid unless the money clears the bank. That's another game that a lot of people play. Oh, I just sold all this stuff. Well, sometimes there's churn. Sometimes things unravel. Right. You know, sometimes the inevitable. I've actually had someone pass away who actually was committed, right? They signed the agreement. Yeah. So stuff happens. And so a salesperson's role is I'm going to hit this number every single time period, whether I'm quota is my own or quota is decided by a company. Um, 
and it's always better to be on our own, but you can use it for leverage. Marketing is, is a perfectly acceptable thing. Yeah. You know, look, I had assistants, I have outbound callers. I had all this stuff. I still do. Right. But that's a form of leverage. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So uh, let's go to, and you kind of mentioned this for the the solopreneur, but even if we were to go up to, you know, kind of a, a, a young business, five, 15, 25 employees, something like that. Uh, what's the CEO's role in sales uh, at, at that stage? Oh, to sell larger deals, <laughs> to network into larger deals and to drive the vision of revenue and profit growth in the company. And, you know, if you've got 15 employees and you're not still selling as a CEO, you're, you're shortchanging yourself because um, there's always a larger deal. And you, as a CEO, you have a positioning that you can sell to other CEOs and business owners mm -hmm. um, and it should be leveraged. Also, we leverage the CEO's role in when we need that person to come into the sale. So when there's a multi-point, multi-person, peer-to-peer selling, right? So for example, um, when uh, CBS television, right? I brought a CEO in to talk to the president of CBS television. Mm. Why? I wasn't a CEO. So I wanted to hear the discussion. Plus I wanted to bring a peer like mine to make sure that I could actually handle the coaching of that process. Right. right? So, um, but that solidified the deal. So when we're selling and it requires, let's say we're selling a complex sale, the CEO always should be involved when the CEO needs to be involved. Because if we walk into a room and there's one salesperson or let's say two salespeople or a salesperson and a sales manager. And on the other end of the table, there's the CEO, the chief financial officer, the human resources director, the IT person, and I don't know, I'll throw someone else in there, right? We better have a CEO at that meeting, a CFO, our human resources contact, our IT person right. and the other, it b better be there. Otherwise, what they're going to look at when, when a salesperson walks through with the sales manager is, hmm, maybe one honest person here, <laughs> maybe, right? Because the positioning of a salesperson is one that they know you're trying to sell something. And so we have to cross from that barrier of being cold in their eyes, not cold and calculated, but I'm saying- sure not known to a position of trust, to a position of advisor, to a point of trust that where they now trust our decisions equally to or even more than theirs. Right. right. And when we're bringing someone in, the IT director is going to have a very different conversation as the CEO is going to have, as will the human resources director. And so if we go in solo and don't bring our CEO into that position, whether it's he, she, or they, who's selling, then what we're doing is we're going to walk out of that meeting. And in most cases, they're going to say, what do you think, CEO? And the CEO goes, these are my concerns. And all the subordinates are going to go, deal done. Right. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Right. Or the HR director is going to go, listen, this makes sense, but do you know how we're going to have to change HR? 
And the IT director steps in uh, and says, we're going to need a whole new system in order to handle this amount of data. Yeah. And now the deal's dead in most cases. But if you had an HR person in there who could speak to that language, an IT director who could speak to that language, a CEO could speak to that person on that peer level, that's where the CEO shines in the in in, in that capacity. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. In, uh, in, in the book, there's a similar uh, question here. In the your book that you have uh, on the site, um, you you tell the story about you know working with your dad and and some of his you know triumphs and, and struggles along the way. And one of the points you brought up was uh, you know our, a propensity for a lot of business owners to over rely on word of mouth. It's yeah. almost a badge of honor, right? Oh, I don't right. do like marketing and sales. It's all referral. Yeah. Uh, and and they kind of sit there and wait for the phone to ring, you know? And so you they reach this stage, it's like they want to grow, uh, but they all of a sudden they feel this gap between what they are actually capable of, of how how they're actually able to grow and what their vision is for the company. So why is it that, uh, that you know, we shouldn't over rely on word of mouth and and what do we do if we find ourselves there? So it's not a bad thing to have word of mouth working, right? But that's one of many things that should be happening in a company. If I had to say one thing that people would probably get, how about pandemic? <laughs> so all these people who are relying on all these referrals that were coming in, all of a sudden the pandemic comes in and it changes the whole landscape of being able to even give referrals or the business starts to shut down because of the pandemic, right? We're no longer, um, we're no longer able to do business the way we were able to do it before. Right. So word of mouth marketing or referral marketing or whatever anybody wants to call it is one facet that should be chugging along. Like we got a six cylinder or an eight cylinder engine or a four cylinder, whatever, right? Engine in the vehicle. If one of the cylinders is just firing and all the other ones are not, you got to run a little clunky. You still can move the vehicle right, in some right. capacity. But what so many people rely upon is one method of generating leads that when that changes, and sometimes that changes for no reason of their own fault. In, in the pandemic, it was an example of that. Right. Right. So- it, it's one of those things that I recommend that, that companies always have a minimum of four to six different ways they're generating leads on a consistent basis. And we're adding a new marketing method or a new prospecting method into that mix every month or month and a half. And we're trying new things because wow. times change. And, you know, it's like cold calling. People are like, oh, cold calling doesn't work anymore. That's not true. It works great if you know how to do it now. Mm. Right? So it's it's just one of those things. And so, you know, a lot of people like, oh, I'll go on social media and I'll tap on that, right? Well, yeah, that's great. Or email marketing. Well, how many emails a day do you get for stuff that's just like, oh my gosh, this isn't even relevant. I got three of them this morning. Yes. Oh, right. So email marketing works great if you know how to use it. But a combination of email marketing, social media, cold calling, uh, ads placed appropriately, being on podcasts like we're doing now, getting out in the public square, speaking, networking, the, the different things that people do. 
it it must be a combination of of ingredients to make the perfect grandma's chocolate cake. Right? So that's that's what I would recommend. And in reliance on one method, whether it's word of word of mouth or not, um, you know, my dad's business. That's I mean, and he carried that for twenty something years. Right. He, you know, he was an expert in his uh, area, and people referred him left and right. And but the thing is, is is he couldn't expand beyond that because he was, you know, my dad built the business on his back is what happened. And so that's another challenge. You know, if we do that, then you can't, you know, you can't, you can't handle all roles. Uh, but my dad was really good at it and eventually burned out. Quite frankly, he came, I, I wrote this in the book. I, if I didn't, I, I'll tell the story. You know, he came, came to the building one day and just stuck the key in the door and locked it. And that was the end of the business. I remember saying to him, dad, well, why don't we just sell this? I mean, we could sell this for millions of dollars. Right? And he's like, I don't care anymore. I'm so burnt out. And he actually sold the building, sold the property, bought a boat and went commercial lobster fishing. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's so much in there. I love the principle of, of having you know, having each of those cylinders firing, trying out new ones. Uh, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, I want to uh, ask you a question I like to ask every every guest that we have on it, and it's this. What's the biggest secret you wish wasn't a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody listening or watching today knew? That men and women think differently. <laughs> and and when you're selling to men and women, you one has to think differently, right? So we'll tie it into a business context um, so I don't sound sexist, right? <laughs> so it's, um, but, and I mean this with, with all, uh, candor because many times men, when we're selling to a woman, we're not listening the way the woman needs to be listened to. We're too busy trying to solve a problem right. or too busy trying to give an answer. And women on the other end, men are very linear. We're very straightforward, right? And so my, my wife and I, who I have the, I think the greatest relationship ever, uh, I'm so blessed in that regard and many others, but it's certainly in that regard. But my wife asked a lot of questions, right? In fact, in fact, we have this little joke, like I wake up in the morning and, and I just hold my hand up and I'll, I'll, I'll have four fingers up and she'll, she'll go, I've asked four questions already. And, and it's like within 30 seconds. Right. And so, <laughs> and, and in my case, you know, we have two daughters that, you know, uh, are in the household and sometimes they have daughter challenges like all children. And sometimes I'm dad and I just want to solve the problem. Right. Right. And my wife will come to me and she'll go, you can't say that. And I'm like, well, it's the truth. She goes, yes, but they're not ready for that yet. Right. And I will say, well, what do you mean? She goes, you don't understand. I'm like, I truly don't. She goes, firstly, stop thinking like a man. Right. And, and so I'll say, okay, well, tell me how I'm supposed to think. Then she'll educate me. And then I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Right? So men and women think differently. We sell to each other and we want to learn about the other side, how they process information, just like we would really want to learn about if we were men selling to men, we want to kind of figure it out. What's the issue, the problem, the opportunity, the innovation that's going on. We want to do the same with women, but it, it, it it's, it's a, it's different, hmm. but it's different in the regards of 
we've got them as men selling, we have to, we must understand how they process information and women must understand how men process information. And if they did that, their sales will go up. Yeah. 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 So true. Uh, there's there's uh, about a thousand different ways we can apply that advice. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, it'll definitely help in the personal side. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so uh, I'm going to pause for a moment. I'd love for you to take off your coach hat here for a minute, put on your own CEO hat, jump down into the ring with the rest of us, uh, if you will. And tell, what's the next stage of growth look like for you and your business and what challenge will you have to overcome to get there? Well, okay, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> so uh, next stage of growth is, well, you, you know, I wrote, I wrote this ebook as you, uh, alluded to called the non-stop, uh, non-stop 1% earner. Um, you know, people can pick it up at, I mean, can I plug it? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Famously plug it. Um, so CEO sales strategies.com forward slash one, the number P E for percent earner. Um, so I wrote that book and I decided, you know, I've been helping companies. Um, I've literally worked with tens of thousands of entrepreneurs over my career. Um, and one of the things that I always, always bothered me was two things. Uh, one, we were never taught certain things in business in school. Like we just, we come into business, we get there and it's like, this isn't really what I thought I signed up for. <laughs> so, and a lot of those are around revenue growth generation, profit optimization, and that all interrelates with how to handle people, hire, and, and those type of things. The other thing that always bothered me is when I was working with companies, the, the owners or CEOs or sales leaders were always like, my sales team, they're terrible. You know, they're awful. I, I just, they're not performing. They're not doing this. And I would ask questions like, why? You know, I'd go back to be a three-year-old or a two-year-old, right? Why? And inevitably what I would find is the company wasn't set up appropriately to actually allow them to grow. In some cases, it was certainly the salesperson, but there were always places where that person was fired prematurely. And I would ask them questions like the ownership of like, oh, well, how are you tracking this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not, or on a spreadsheet or, you know, and it's like, well, if you're not tracking this, how can you make that statement? Well, I just feel that. Okay. That's subjective, right? <laughs> Let's talk about objective, which is the, the actual truth. So what I did is I created the 1% Earners Academy and I'm training people how to think and act and be like a 1% earner so that they'll be able to, A, from their own solo sales position, be able to spot all of this stuff, yeah. as well as the software that goes along with this, which I call the bit now. And so that's being rolled out very soon. And then I'm rolling out the revenue and profit growth component of, of the university where I'm teaching people, whether it's business owners or people who want to do revenue and profit and sales growth for companies, I'm teaching them how to go into companies and earn, you know, at a 1% income level if they want to. Right. Uh, and those are the two major initiatives. I also have a company um, that we actually do turnkey uh marketing, sales, operations, human resources wow. for specific coaches, consultants, or trainers who don't want to do all that, who want to focus on content creation and being the face of the company. We help them build that brand mm. uh, around that process. So that that's what I'm going on. 
uh, challenges like everybody else, you know, um, you know, I, I heard Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank say this one day and it just made me smile and just laugh. He's like, no matter how much money you have, you're always going to have money challenges. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> because when you're growing, you need funds, right? So the challenges are now I have to look back and go, okay, how do we going to either internally or externally fund it? Right. And so just like any startup company or any company that's been running for a while, I mean, we've been running for, you know, years and years, you always hit these certain plateaus and then you, you we must ask ourselves the question, I don't know how this is going to get done, but how do we get it done? Right. right. What, what are the ways? And so you come up with the answers that way. And then that, that's primarily my challenge is, is, um, is pulling all of this together in a quicker period of time and funding it all because it's, you know, it's a costly endeavor when, yeah. when we start building software, anybody's yeah. ever built software, it never goes on time and it never is on budget. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so, uh, that, that, that's the game that's going on right now. Yeah. Well, Doug, uh, that's fantastic. Give us the URL for, uh, the website and book one more time, uh, just so folks can make sure they've got it. Yeah, sure. The, the, the website is uh, CEO sales strategies, plural. And so it's CEO sales strategies.com forward slash one P E one percent earner. And the book is, uh, as you know, all around, um, you know, the philosophy and psychology of what a 1% earner is and how they think. Um, and I also have another book called uh, Win-Win Selling, Unlocking the Power of Profitability by Resolving Objections. Uh, that could be found uh, at winwinsellingbook.com or you can get it on Amazon. That goes also into the psychology philosophy on and around objections because a lot of people have challenges. They think they got to crush them with it. They think it's a fight. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but objections actually form in our childhood. And, and I explain how that works and how they can resolve them in a win-win fashion. Wow. Well, remarkable. We'll get those links in the show notes. So go ahead and grab those. Uh, and uh, I, I would highly recommend it. Had a chance to check out the 1% book. And it was it was fantastic. Uh, it, it, it gives the why, but it also just super practical and helpful. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an absolute pleasure having you here. And for those watching, listening, you know your time and attention mean the world to us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did, and I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor, who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.